Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. It's great to see all of you here today. It's always a privilege. I really do consider it a privilege to be able to take the Bible and talk with you about what God is saying to us. Uh, We want to welcome those who are listening on the podcast as well. Really uh, glad that you can be there. Trust that God speaks to your heart uh, through what you're here today. The only thing that would be better is if you are able to join us. And so maybe at some point in life you'll be in our area and we'd love to have you uh, stop in. Well, today is the last sermon in our sermon series on 2 Peter, entitled On the Road to Heaven. And really, that's where we are. Once we receive Christ as Savior, we're on the way, right? Well, Peter talks us about some things that we need to think about while we're on the way. And uh, two weeks ago, we were in the first chapter, and we saw that if we will pay attention to how we live and live the way that Peter's telling us to, that we can experience a grand entrance into heaven. And so he's telling us that how we live here will affect what we experience when we get to heaven. And so he talks about being diligent to add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and then godliness and then brotherly kindness and then love. And he says if we work at those, and, and by the way, let me encourage you, you know, these, these bookmarks are still out there. has that list right on it so you can focus on it. Uh, keep it in your Bible and pray about those things. But if we diligently work on adding those things to our lives, he says this is going to be a great blessing to us uh, not only now, but when we get to heaven. And then last week, we, we talked about stop tormenting your soul. We saw the story of Lot, who exposed himself unnecessarily to sin. And over time, it really did damage. He ended up losing, really, his whole family as a result of it. Uh, and so we challenge ourselves, say, we need to not expose ourselves unnecessarily to sin. If you're going to live in this world, are you going to be exposed to sin? As long as you're in this world, you will be exposed to sin. Okay, so you're going to have to, how you, you live, there's going to be some sin there. And then there may be sin that you get exposed to because Jesus puts it in your heart to reach out to sinners, right? People who need to know him. But beyond those things, when we don't need to expose ourselves to sin, we need to make a different choice and not do that, okay? And that brings us up to chapter 3 today. Uh, and the title of the sermon, Stay Busy While God is Still Patient. Chapter 1 uh, talked about here's what God has done for us and here's the awesomeness that can happen because of it. Chapter 2 says, look out, here's all the things that can go wrong. And then chapter 3, today he's going to talk to us about the uh, way things are right now, where they're headed, and what we should do about it. Okay? So before I actually start reading here in chapter 3, Let me lay out for you um, a view of what we believe is going to happen in the future according to the scriptures, okay? And I'll tell you why in a little bit, but I think it'll help us as we try to understand what Peter's saying. So if you can imagine, here's a timeline, right? Okay, running across the stage. And here we are today, this is where we are. Back there, Jesus died for our sins and rose. And at some point in, in the line, hopefully all of us, have received Christ as Savior, okay, at some point. And here we are today. Now, what's going to happen in the future? Well, we don't know the time, but we do know that the next big thing that's going to happen 
at some point in the future is what we call the rapture of the church, where God takes all of his people out of the world and, you know, takes it up to meet Christ in the air. And those who've already died and gone to heaven before us will also rise at that time with us. And then it says, for seven years, we will be in heaven with the Father, with Christ. Uh, this will be, I believe, when the judgment seat of Christ will take place for Christians and also a great celebration, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Okay? During this same seven years, those who are left behind on the earth will experience the judgment of God on the earth in what we call the great tribulation. There will still be people who will get saved during this time, but it's going to be a terrible time. Okay? And then at the end of this seven-year period, Jesus is going to return to earth, what we call the second coming, where he actually returns to earth. First time we go to meet him, then he comes down to meet us or with us. We who are in heaven come down with him, and this inaugurates a thousand-year kingdom where Jesus rules on earth and we serve him here on earth, and sin will be restrained and held back, and it's going to be an amazing thing. So for a thousand years, and then at the end of the thousand years, what occurs is the final judgment of everybody who never received Christ, those who never by faith came into a relationship with God, the great white throne judgment. Okay, we read about that in Revelation. And so their uh, destiny will be sealed and it will be shown at that judgment that this is what they deserve. And then once that is done, the Bible tells us that, well, let me tell you how Revelation shows it. Uh, you wanna go ahead and go to that, would you, John, the, the Revelation verse, there we go. John says, now I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. So after this great white throne judgment, God, in essence, destroys the earth and heavens as it now is and remakes them brand new. No sin, no impact of sin. All pure, holy, and amazing, okay? All right, so let me just review this one more time because I want this in your head. So here we are, right? Christ died for us. At some point we receive Christ here. We are today. At some point in the future, we don't know when. Could be today before the service is over. Christ takes us out of the world and those who've already gone to heaven, he raises with us. We meet the Lord in the air. We're with him for, in heaven for seven years. Uh, judgment seat of Christ, the marriage supper of the Lamb. On earth, there's seven years of great tribulation, God's judgment on the earth. And then at the end of that seven years, Jesus returns to earth, the second coming. We return with him and he establishes his kingdom on earth, a thousand year kingdom on earth. At the end of that, the great white throne judgment and then the doing away with heavens and earth as they now are and making them all new. So you guys got it? Okay. And the reason I say this is because Peter, as Peter writes with this and talks about the day of the Lord and the day of God, he's talking about, the words he's mentioning are down here. Heavens and the earth done away and, and new. But what Peter has in mind, really, when he's talking about this, is everything that happens from this point on. What is this point? The, the rapture of the church, that's right. And because that sets in, in motion these seven years and thousand years. And it all culminates in the uh, doing away with the, this heaven and earth and the, uh, the new. And it's all wrapped up in Peter's mind with this final great white throne judgment. Okay? So he's talking about all of this, the last days. So let's go to first, or Second Peter chapter 3. Page 1,397 in the um, Bible that's in the pews there. <coughs> Excuse me. Second Peter chapter 3. 
Mary's going to tell us what's happening now, what's going to happen, and what we should do about it. So let's look at what's happening now. Start in verse 1. He says, Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminders. Do you remember what Peter said in, in chapter 1? He said, hey, I'm going to remind you of these things, and I'm going to make it a point to remind you of these things, and after I die, I'm going to make sure that there's a way that for you to be reminded of these things. And now he's saying, okay, I want to remind you of these things. you think this, we need to be reminded of things? Yeah, you know, as, as a Christian, you know, you could come to church, you know, year after year after year, and you're going to hear a lot of the same things again and again and again. And you could say, well, why do I keep going? Well, because you need to be reminded. I need to be reminded of these things. All right, so what's he reminding us of? Verse 2, he says, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandments of us the apostles of the Lord and Savior. So he's really pointing us to the word of God, the Old Testament, the prophets, and then the apostles in the New Testament. And so here's what he's saying. There is truth to know and live by. There is truth. You need to know it. You need to live by it. Okay? Now, chapter 3. He says, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust, and saying... Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. And so Paul, or excuse me, Peter's telling us here that while there is truth to know and live by, understand that there will also be opposition intended to make you doubt. And so what we're seeing here is the promise of his coming, you know, Where's the promise of his coming? You know, he's coming for us, and, and all of this is going to take place. And they're saying, hey, everything's the same as it's always been. It's been a long time. Don't think it's really happening. Do you think it's really happening? He's going to be an opposition that begins to cast doubt on these things. Verse number five. He says, for this they willfully forget that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. And you're saying about now, what? <laughs> what was that? Well, let me say to you what, what Peter's trying to tell us here. He's saying that um, they, when they say everything is continued, unchanged, and just let me say that, that th these verses we're looking at right here are very important for us as Christians when we start looking at what the Bible says about creation and the events that have happened and, and what uh, the world sometimes tells us about evolution and how things happen by accident, okay? He says there's some things here to learn. We don't have time to go into those things today. That might make a great sermon or a lesson at another point, okay? Um, but what he's trying to say is that, that things, I mean, verse 6, he says, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. He's saying things have changed. The, God said certain things, and they came to pass. They have changed. So you can be certain that what God has said is indeed going to come to pass. Don't doubt. Don't listen to the opposition. Now let me show you something here uh, as we, before we leave this. Verse 5, for this they, what's the next word? Yeah, the next word is willfully. This they willfully forget. 
We have this tendency to think that, that people who don't know Christ and who believe things that are not true, they, they really just don't understand. And if they understood, it would all change. They would change their minds. But all through scripture, we discover something. And that's that when we are not in a right relationship with God, the will is involved. Our will, you know what I mean by our will, right? Our choice, our decider, our will, our heart, we might say, okay? Our heart would encompass that. And, and so when he says that they willfully forget, they, they have made conscious choices about what they're believing. Now, that doesn't mean that they know what's really true and have chosen not to believe it. But what it is telling me is that the intellect is not sufficient. The heart has to engage. And people have to be willing to believe. So, if you're in a conversation with somebody someday about the Lord and a relationship with God, and they have all these questions. Anybody run into anybody like that? They have all these questions, questions about the Bible, questions about science, questions about whatever, right? And that's great. Questions are great. They give you a wonderful opportunity to talk about things. But at some point, have you ever, like me, got to start thinking, you know what, I think that these questions aren't the real issue. And so I asked this question, and it's based on John chapter seven and verse 17, when uh, they were challenging Jesus about who was saying, what he was saying, why should we believe, and all this kind of stuff. He said this, he says, if anyone, and I'm paraphrasing, if anyone is willing to submit to God and to do what God wants, if you're willing to do that, you can know what's really true. So what's that tell me? That if I am not willing, if you're not willing, if any person is not really willing, they're gonna have a hard time with what's really true. Okay, because, and so here's your question. I have all these questions you answer, you can say, hey, let me ask you. If I could answer all of these questions for you, if we could find the answers to these questions for you, are you willing to receive Christ as Savior and, and live your life for him as a Christian? Are you willing to do that? And if they say yes, praise the Lord, right? Let's go to work on the questions. If they say, nah, I don't know. I don't know if I want to do that or not. You very respectfully and lovingly say, okay, so let's be clear. The real issue is not these questions. The real issue is that you don't want to yield to Christ, right? And they might think about that and go, wait a minute, that's not what I want. And they might change their mind or they might say, yeah. But see, now you know, don't you? But see, this is, there's a willfulness always to unbelief, okay? All right, so let's continue. Verse seven. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word. Okay, God created the world the way it was by speaking of existence. The world changed at the flood. And he says, that world now that God has made, the way things are now, but the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are preserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. See, he's linking this all up with that final judgment. He says, but beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. Remember the, the, the accusations up here, ah oh, man, everything's always been the same, and it just goes on and on and on. What do you mean he's coming? Come on, trying to cast doubt in your mind about these things. These things aren't really true, are they? They're saying that kind of thing. He says, don't let the time issue mess you up. 
because time is not the same for God as it is for us. How short does one day seem to you these days? Probably depends on how old you are. The older you get, the shorter your days get, it seems like. How long does a thousand years sound to you? Long time, doesn't it? Well, to God, it's just, he, it isn't that way. He can do in one day what you might think it would take a thousand years to do. And sometimes it seems like he spreads out over a thousand years what he might could have done in one day. Just time is not an issue for God. But it is an issue for us, isn't it? Okay, so let's continue reading. He said, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness. In other words, yeah, it's been a long time, fine. Time isn't saying to God as it is to you and I. So he's not slack concerning his promise. What, what is he? But is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Wow. He's saying, God has not wrapped up the end here yet. So what does that mean? He still wants people to be saved, doesn't he? He still wants people to be saved. And it means even more than that, I think. We have, we have brothers and sisters in Christ out in the world there who are, are good people and love God, uh, but I am convinced they are wrong about something that they have believed from the scriptures. Uh, it, you'll hear it called Calvinism. You'll hear it called Reformed Theology. Uh, but their belief is that before God ever created the world, of course, he knew who he was going to create, and he chose to say, I'm only going to save this one and this one and this one and this one. Jesus is only going to die for this one, this one, this one. Everybody else, I'm sending to hell. And somehow God is supposed to be glorified in that. I see here that God is not willing any to perish. God has not predetermined that anybody has to go to hell. Now, his desire is that they be saved. That's what he says, right? But that they would all come to repentance. That's his heart's desire. And this is where we come in, isn't it? Okay, we'll talk more about that. All right, so this is the way things are now. God is still waiting. God is still wanting to save people. Verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up, right? That's down at the end. He's, he's looking at this whole judgment and the finalization of it there. Um, anybody ever had your house robbed? A few of you, yeah. Did you get a note from the thief the day before telling you when they would be there? Yeah, I hope, you did you, Rodney? Oh, okay. <laughs> so, um, they don't. So what he's trying to say is it's unexpected, right? It is. We don't know when this is going to begin, when this, all this in stuff begins with the rapture. We don't know. It's going to come when we aren't expecting it. And so the idea is that that's going to happen. Verse 11, therefore, and this is, um, so we're into this section now, and he says, what should we do about these things? And there are three therefore statements that Peter makes here, and this is the first one. He says, therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be dissolved. 
being on fire and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Since all these things are gonna be dissolved, how should we live? In other words, Peter's expecting that the re this reality where everything's going to this final judgment ought to affect how we live. And he says two things here. First, holy conduct. That means that what you do and how you live your life is not sinful, but aligns with what God says in his word. Holy conduct. And then he says, and godliness. And godliness is more of the inner part of this for us. This is where we begin to share the heart of God and share the mind of God and become more God-like in our approach to life. All right, verse 13. Nevertheless, we according to his promise look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. That's our ultimate destiny. Verse 14. Therefore, beloved, see, it's a second therefore statement. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things where we're headed, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. And so he's saying here that we need to rest in him and have his peace. We need to be at peace with God through Christ. We need to experience the peace of God as we live for him in Christ. Be, uh, so peace and without spot. And again, this is the idea of um, you know, removing the things that don't belong from our lives, the, the sinful things. And when he says blameless, I think that's, that's outward in our relationships with other people, that we act with integrity in our, our walk with other people. Uh, that we are faithful in that without, and, and blameless. And then he says this, and consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. This goes back to what he said in verse number nine. The long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. If God has not uh, you know, pulled us out of the world and we are not on, you know, already set in this process to the final judgment, what do we know? We know that God still wants to save people. He still wants people to get saved. Because once he calls us out of the world, the church, man, we're out of time. There will be people saved in that tribulation, but we won't be here to help them. And once we've hit that, I mean, it's just on down toward the final judgment. Now, Peter's an interesting guy. But I really like what Peter writes here going forward, and I think you and I can relate to it. Verse 15, he says, And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written you. So he refers to what Paul has written, some of Paul's letters, and then he says this, As also in all his epistles, his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand. <laughs> which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do also the rest of the scriptures. He says, so yeah, people, you know, twist what Paul says, but then they do that with all the scriptures anyway. But I love it that Peter says, hey, Paul has said this, and yeah, you guys have a hard time understanding what he said sometimes? Peter's saying, I do. <laughs> Peter, anybody here ever have a hard time understanding what, what Paul's saying in his letters? Yeah, I do. And Peter does too. So it's nice to know, can you be a godly person and not understand everything the Bible says? You sure can. All right. So let's read on. Third therefore statement. You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. 
but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Since you know this beforehand, he's really putting a measure of responsibility on us, isn't he? You know. There are things that you know. Since you know this beforehand, there's some things that you need to pay attention to. And here he mentions steadfastness, not being led away, continuing to grow. So what is it? Since we know this beforehand, what is it he's talking about that we know? He could be talking about this information that we've been talked about here, and this is true. This is, we know this is where it's headed. But I would suggest to you today that what Peter is telling us, since you know this beforehand, what he's telling us is that, yes, this is coming, but the fact that it hasn't come yet means God is still wanting to save people. You see that? Paul speaks long-suffering means salvation. God is long-suffering. He's waiting because he desires all to, to turn to him. And so that's what's going on. And so when he tells us that, that we should have holy contact and be godly and have the peace of God and with God and be without spot and blameless and, and steadfast and not led away with the air of the wicked and, and to continue to grow, when we're doing these things, why does he want us to do them? I mean, does God somehow rather need me to be holy for him to be okay? I mean, sometimes we feel that way. We want someone to agree with us and believe so that we can feel okay about ourselves. God's not like that. So why does he give us this list? Why does he think? I believe he gives us because what's his desire? That people will come to Christ that people will be saved. And so he tells us, be holy in your conduct. And being holy in your conduct means that, that you are not living in ways that are going to work against being a witness. How effective is your witness if you don't have holy conduct and someone sees it and knows it and say, you hypocrite. Well, let me tell you about Jesus. You hypocrite. How effective is your witness? You guys out there? We need holy conduct, don't we? Godliness. Godliness. Before I continue elaborating on this, let me just say this to you. I think based on what we see in the scripture, this is true. God is not willing to let people die and go to hell without providing them an opportunity to be saved. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so he has put in the world you know, he says that, that, that human beings can look at the world and creation and determine that there must be a God. There must be something behind this. There has to be something here that they can, you know, look for this God. He stirred them up through creation. Then he says they, he put it in our own nature as human beings to ask questions like what's the purpose, what's the point, why? And that that draws us to him as well. So God has given these things to work and to draw people and then he's also given the gospel, and that's where we come in, okay? And so if we're going to be effective at sharing the gospel, we must have holy conduct. We must become godly, start to share the heart of God, the mind of God, to look at the world the way God does. Now let me say this to you. 
We are the most like God, godly, when we devote ourselves to reaching the lost. Because what did God do? Sent his own son, right? God becomes a man, enters into our filth and, and dies for us because he loves us. And, and uh, you know, we know the story. We know the gospel. And, and so this is what he does. And so when we have that same heart, that's when we're the most like God. And so we need to be godly. And then he says, again, the peace of God. Why do I need the peace of God? Well, I need the peace of God because I need to help you have peace with God. Okay, I, I can't be giving away what I don't have, what I don't experience. Not to mention, as I try to witness, there may be times when things get pretty crazy out of hand and I may need the peace of God. <laughs> um, sorry, again, without spot, blameless in our interactions. We need those things so we can be effective witnesses. Steadfastness. Did the, do, do you know people, you know personally people who need to be saved? Did they need to be saved yesterday? They need to be saved today. If they don't get saved today, they're gonna to need to be saved tomorrow. You need to be what? Steadfast, faithful, all through that. Not let away the air of the wicked, not start doubting, not saying it is important, not just saying it doesn't matter, but keep growing. You know, we talk about this, three things we do as a church. If you know them with me, say them out loud with me. The first one is we surrender, remember these? If you remember them, say it with me. We surrender to the Lord. We grow to be like the Lord. We tell others about the Lord. Okay, so we surrender to the Lord, do what he wants, but we grow to be like him, and as we become like him, we what? Tell. See, we're the most like God when we devote ourselves to reaching the lost. So understand, God is not willing to let people die and go to hell without providing them an opportunity to be saved, and we are that's why he's working on our lives, telling us that we need to reach out to people. And I have really been burdened about this, growing burdened about it. I mean, off and on over the years, because I think this, you know, we surrender to the Lord, we grow to be like the Lord, we tell others about the Lord. This we tell others about the Lord tends to somehow rather become optional in our lives as Christians. And we're doing all this good Christian stuff, but not that. And so I've burdened about that, we've worked on it, but I, I've become increasingly burdened about it in my own life and then in our church. Because realization hit me as I was, began working on first P, or Second Peter here a few weeks ago and looking at it. I mean, so God is not willing, right, that any should perish? But the reality is, is that we are. Far too often we are, and that's what hit me. God is not willing that he should perish, but you know what? Lots of times I am willing to let him go. What a terrible thing to see about yourself. But I would say to you that, that largely this is what we, where we're at in our church too, that we are often willing to let them go. Why would I say that? Well, first, because of what I've seen in me. Second thing is I don't hear... Uh, all of us in church talking about this person I witnessed to and this person I shared my faith with and this person I'm trying to reach. Not hearing that, and I guarantee you when we're doing it, we'll be talking about it. We'll be excited about it. And then finally, where are the new believers? We have some, by God's grace. But when we have a church with over 200 people who come in and out the door on a regular basis of some sort, Shouldn't we see more new believers because we've been faithful to witness? 
And when I say that we are willing to let people die and, and, and go to hell, I, I see that when we have our discussions at church about what really matters the most and what's the most important, this subject is not coming up. And that's a burden. See, this must change. This must change. You know, I get it that it's hard to reach people. I get it that lots of times people's response isn't good. I get it that you walk by so many people every day. You know, how, how in the world could you even try to begin reaching them? I get all that, but here's the problem. I can't reach everyone has come to mean I won't reach anyone in practice. You see what I'm saying? I can't reach everyone. True, it's very true. But then uh, we don't really try to reach anyone. This has to change. And, and I think that, um, I think that this topic needs to be one of the important things that we discuss at our next church family fellowship and forum. We need to have a conversation with each other and say, how are we gonna do this? We gotta do this. How are we gonna do this and work together to do this? So, here's what I'm asking you today. First is join me in prayer about witnessing, would you? Join me in prayer about your witnessing. Ask God, say, God, would you make me aware every day that I need to be ready to speak for you, to talk or, or to write or whatever. Make me aware, Lord, and alert, and then pray the same thing for all the rest of us. Second thing, let's figure out together what God wants us to do about our witnessing. And that's what I'm talking about the next time we get together and have that discussion, right? Let's, talk, let's work together. And then finally, let's determine that together we are going to honor the Lord by becoming faithful witnesses. We are going to do this somehow by God's grace. His empowering. We are going to do it. Let's bow our heads. If this is hitting you the way it's hit me, and you're thinking, wow, I have been willing to let people go. God's not, but I am. Uh, you sense that you need to somehow rather be a much more faithful, more effective witness than you presently are, that it needs to be true in our church. If you're feeling that burden, um, I want to pray with you and for you. And so I'm just going to ask you right now, with no one looking around, just stand up where you are. I'm not going to ask you to do anything more than that. Just stand up. If you're saying, yeah, man, I am with you all the time, get it. God is speaking to me. Would you just stand up right where you are right now? And let me pray for you. Father, I thank you uh, for your working in our lives that, you brought, that someone was faithful to bring the gospel to us, to invite us something, Lord. I pray that you'll do a great work in our hearts and minds. Make us alert to the need that others have and uh, these things that we've talked about doing. I pray, Father, you do a great work and that, that you will not let us be settled until we are faithfully following you in this. And that, Father, you would be greatly glorified as we become a church that faithfully tells others about you. And I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.